Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, also known on WIR as DJ Lilas, and you're listening to WIR LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I'm here today with Becky Prosky to discuss Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Now, a motion picture so grand, so magnificent, and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! Bill and Ted's Excellent! Excellent! Excellent Adventure. Party on, dude. Excellent. I'm very Excellent, man. Yeah. Yes. Sweet. High school football rules. Sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. All right. After watching that movie, how often did you do the voice? Like, Oh, yeah. I, I continuously do the voice yeah. forever throughout forever. life throughout life yes so um there's no reason not to <laughs> I'm so glad that I watched this movie um I told many people that I was going to watch it and I got the same reaction from everyone which is how have you not watched that movie how have you never watched that movie and um I'm glad that it didn't elude me because it yeah. it I think we need happiness and we'll get into all that but I'm mm-hmm. first going to tell everybody listening a little bit about you those who don't know Becky's voice, she's a filmmaker and screenwriter from D.C. She went to school in D.C., studied politics in undergrad, D.C., uh, and switched to studying film, hurrah, in grad school. She was in the Nickelodeon writing program in Burbank in 2020. Nice. She's written numerous shorts and feature scripts, including 1-800-LADY-CHILD. Want to know more about that? She's directed <laughs> shorts, including The Q-Tipper, hilarious, Searching for John Luke, and Man in a Box, which screened for the first time at Awesome Con in DC this past September, where I got to see it live and hear all the laughs in person and meet Becky in person. And it also screened recently at two different festivals in LA. So that's awesome. awesome. Um, what were the LA festivals like? Oh, they were wonderful. So um, Man in a Box screened at the Burbank International Film Festival, uh, which unfortunately I was not able to attend, but I know it was a good time was had by all from mm-hmm. the photos that I did see. Um, and then it also screened at Lady Filmmakers Festival ah. a few weeks ago, which was a wonderful experience. And I did, uh, I was able to attend and the screenings were amazing uh, man in a box actually screened on sci-fi night which was interesting because yes. all the i mean it which may which it could be a comedy or sci-fi it was interesting because most of the films were really dark and post-apocalyptic and they were amazing but then there was a definite tonal shift when right. mine came on and right. i was just like people it's a comedy it's okay you can sci-fi can be comedy it's just not often done <laughs> yes, except Will, Bill and Ted. Except Bill and Ted, Ted, which is yeah. again what we need, what our world needs, what we yeah. need more of. I yeah. think that that it, well, it's really interesting because you Man in a Box is the first thing I saw of yours, and there's just so much crossover. Do you did you realize how much crossover there was, or is is it just in, integral for you to be making comedy? Like, is comedy your life? Oh, it's just I just do comedy. I didn't even I didn't even really think about it as a sci-fi movie when right. I right well it's yeah. it's a premise can you give us a really short mm-hmm. log line for that short film? sure um man in a box it's basically um sort of a disillusioned woman in search of love um finds this supposed app that promises the perfect match and you know but it doesn't it's not actually the perfect match you guys 
So don't go into it thinking there's a, you know, everything turns out perfectly. There is a problem with the match. So there you go. And we're going to talk more about this short that is hilarious because I have some great behind the scenes. But Becky, I wanted to ask you, why did you choose Bill and Ted? Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is, is one of my favorite movies, period. Um, I just remember it's just been a part of my whole existence. I don't remember the first time I ever saw it because it's just a part of me. Um, and it's like, I think if you look at the double helix of my DNA, you'll see Dorothy Spornak and Bill and Ted. They played the soundtrack of, they played wild stallions in in utero. Yes. Yes, totally. Totally. (laughs) And I came out wearing like, that midriff t-shirt oh my gosh the midriff oh my god oh i will that's just a whole hour we could just talk about (laughs) alex winter's bare midriff just like those that sliver of three inch i am i objectifying a teenager i guess i am no it's first of all he was not a teenager when he made it so you can objectify all you want it's fine uh, yes that navel it's literally it's navel gazing yeah shout out to the costume designer for that i mean I, i do appreciate i appreciate Keanu aka Ted's outfit more for the sheer versatility and like the sheer amount of late 80s vibes and early 90s it was bringing like the pink jacket Mm -hmm. of just and you need like I I would wear that sometimes sometimes it's nice when a gentleman wears a vest yeah yeah I mean especially if they're Keanu (laughs) yeah yeah oh and so so this movie's like really integral to your life we're gonna definitely Mm -hmm. jump into it talk more about your work but first I want to give a quick overview for those who have never heard of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, um, you might have been conceived after 9-11. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure if you're listening to it. Or maybe not, because they did just have a third yes. installment come out. So this is mm-hmm. a franchise that's pretty well known. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. I'm going to you know, kind of summarize the film. There will be spoilers in this episode. Um, however, some studies have shown that a little bit of light spoilage can actually increase your enjoyment factor when watching the film. So I, I encourage you to listen to this before you watch. However, if you want to stop wherever you're listening, you can find this podcast on Apple, wherever you get your podcast and come back to it. Nonetheless, released in 1989, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was directed by Stephen Herc. He it. also is he also directed Critters and Mr. Holland's Office. <laughs> Quite a lot of range. Um and the film was written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, who have bit parts in the film. It follows the far-out lives of quintessentially California best friends in a, quote, band called Wild Stallions. Wild Stallions! In San Dimas, California. Wild Stallions is spelled with two Ys, I believe, yeah. somehow, yeah. Um, which is... Yeah. As it should be. Despite their lovable slow wit, somehow bear crucial role to the future of humanity. And this is the whole thing we're going to get into, too. George Carlin, in a semi-neo outfit, leads Ted, played by Keanu Reeves, and Bill, played by Alex Winter, in a rollicking good time through time and space to make sure these boys pass their final history exam and finish high school. What follows is adorable, heartwarming, and most triumphant. It is most triumphant. That description was most triumphant. In time, our band will be most triumphant. Becky, I'll let you start. What What is the most important thing that really stands out to you as a filmmaker and as a writer when you were rewatching this? As I've rewatched it 50 times. Um, <laughs> it is so, I mean, it's, it's totally unpretentious one. And it's, 
I mean, it really is a sci-fi movie. The more I look, I'm like, it is sci-fi. It's time travel. They go to the past. They go to the future in what I will argue is one of the best midpoint scenes in any film I've ever seen. But we'll talk about that again later in the show. It's funny. It's the perfect, I think it's one of the perfect buddy comedies. And the friendships along the way will just warm your heart. And the fact that uh, Missy, the stepmom, needs her own spinoff. That's just something. I felt like <laughs> she could have had her own movie. I have I have so many questions about Missy Me and too. why they made her so close in age to them and, and what that was all about. Um, yeah. But I, I, I wasn't mad because it, there is – you're right. It's unpretentious. It's so different from yeah. other films of the time where it's 100% pure joy. Yeah. There's no cynicism. Nothing- it's not cynical at all. It's just they're just do they just want to pass school, man. They just want to pass this history exam. Now I do wonder, like, is it really only history that they're failing? Because I think about that sometimes. Because I'm like, how are they doing in algebra? Yeah. And how are they doing in chemistry? Because I don't think they're doing very well. It's like it's like they go to a history focused yeah. high school. Like it's Maybe. like everyone is in the everyone's in the room mm-hmm. at the end. They're in the auditorium. Yes. The principals there. I don't remember the principal being involved at all with my final no. oral exams, but the I, school really, really cares. Yes, I do remember it gave me a very false sense of what giving a presentation in high school would be <laughs> because I never had to go on stage in the auditorium and present some epic history exam. But maybe one day, maybe, maybe one day. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. I, I do yeah. think that you should be given more of a chance to involve lighting and yes. you know <laughs> stagecraft in general in your yes. in your because that's yes. really what made it so good um oh, so you know you talk about how it's such a buddy comedy their relationship is really amazing talk mm-hmm. to me about as a writer do you do you see yourself as a screenwriter or a director or do you do you have a do you have a preference i, I focus more on screenwriting mm-hmm. that would be sort of uh, more of my focus so i mean just looking at it just and it's hard because when you watch a movie, I mean, a script is just the blueprint and the film is the final, mm-hmm. is, the, is the house. And it's mm-hmm. just, it is very different depending on whose hands it falls into. But um, it's, I mean, they're just, it's the, I think it's just the perfect buddy comedy. They complement each other so well and they bring each, they have their strengths and their weaknesses that just line up so perfectly because we have, we have I mean, Ted, who has to go to possibly, I mean, the stakes couldn't be higher. If they fail, he's going to send to, he's going to be sent to military school in Alaska. Where there's like no babes. There are no babes. And, and no babes no, in Alaska. No babes and no wild stallions. No. I mean, there's probably like wild stallions, like actual wild stallions, but there's no bands. I mean. Yeah, it's a really good way to raise the stakes because they're yeah. both affected by that. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to do much. So, I want to talk a little bit about casting mm-hmm. and the relationship that these two characters had and then also how you've cast mm-hmm. and built relationships for your own films because I was so enamored to hear about the casting relationship and it makes of course all these things make sense. So so Scott what's his name Scott Crutch Scott Krupp. He's the mm-hmm. producer. Mm-hmm. Um and he worked with he had, he apparently had known that Ed Solomon one of the writers did stand up and and when he read the script was like super excited about it. but he talked about how when they were casting, as soon as they saw Keanu, it was a, it was a done deal, right? Because mm-hmm. when you when you see Keanu in the role, he is so effusively 
adorable and happy like you just can't imagine him and that was exactly how it went for casting Mm -hmm. but the way that they ended up finding Alex Winter was that they naturally had formed a bond through casting and that every time they would bring in a new person to read for Bill Mm -hmm. Alex Winter and and Keanu would end up just still talking about music and serving or whatever it is and they were actually like kind of in character until it just kind of became inevitable and then they ended up building a lot of extra things into those characters so how much of I want to talk more about Man in a Box because there's really two central characters Tell me about how the casting went for that. Ah, the casting for Man in a Box. Well, the most important casting, I think, honestly, in that short was the house that I shot Um, it in. And it is a really nice house. So Man in a Box started as a feature script in my mind, but I really was having a lot of trouble getting into the story. I didn't know where to enter it. And I didn't know who actually would be the protagonist, if it was going to be the... I didn't know if it was going to be the robot or the real life person who would be the protagonist. Now, obviously, as I say that, the robot cannot be the protagonist. But anyway, well, whatever. I mean, why not? Let's, He's let's, a likable robot. Let's have a revolution here. But <laughs> I, I don't know. But then I, a friend of mine who owns this house, I walked into it and I said, oh, wow, um, I have to shoot something here because it's this beautiful mid-century modern house and as we all know the near future has a mid-century modern aesthetic of that's course. just what everything looks like yeah and uh, they were very excited so i said okay i have to make i have to write a short film script so i just took the feature and got rid of the b story the c story just boiled it down to what the a story was which is basically this woman who um she's sort of you know, looking for love in all their own places and continues to during this movie. Um, so casting this, it was sort of interesting because I, I had met uh, Jacob who plays Man in a Box in a playwriting class I took and he was very excited uh, to take on this part. And he's just, he's this very cherubic person. So to have him playing a not even a stoic robot, if you will, but he, he brings... I don't know. He does bring a quality to it that I couldn't necessarily envision on the page. So I was very, it was just, he really brought a lot. There's of some similarities, I think, to mm-hmm. Bill and Ted. There's mm-hmm. like this kind of childlike sense of wonder and excitement that is wanted. Can I spoil the short a little bit? Of course. Okay. So when she's looking for love in all the wrong places, a friend sends her a man in a box. What's the main character's name again? Um, Val. Val. Yes. That's Val's okay. very reluctant about this. Yeah. Obviously, because it's a man in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, but over time, it kind of becomes dependent on his kindness yeah. and sweetness and all the things that we actually want someone to listen to us and mm-hmm. laugh at our jokes and watch TV with us and mm-hmm. perform activities. And <laughs> um, it's it's got a great com- comedic twist, but I thought the relationship Everybody, between those two the characters first, was so good. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, the first thing anyone wants to see when there's a robot involved is you want to see the characters that you have to see them have sex. That's the yeah. first thing at Lady Filmmakers. There was a very <laughs> there was a feature length film. It was this great film. It's a Japanese film that uh, was screening, and it was like the really really dark version. Of, of my film it was really funny and it was true it's like the first thing everyone wants to see is these characters have sex it's just yeah. how it is so it's okay yeah yeah they, they, and they do i want to make more inappropriate jokes yeah. but unfortunately this is mostly radio audience yeah. because the well 
how yeah. often do you get people coming up to you saying, oh, this reminds me of the Black Mirror episode, the entire, the total history of you? Do you get that a lot? Honestly, no. No, I, I don't, I don't think anyone That's, has said that. It's a man in a box. Have you seen it's, that episode? It's man in a box. I, and he's also a ginger. So. <laughs> okay. I have to admit, I actually haven't seen it, but the truth is robot sexy time stories people who are lonely <laughs> and getting robots those stories lonely are... woman gets man in box is not the first it's not been the first you're, you're right yours is yeah. not the first it's no it's it's a tale as old as time um so you know i actually was thinking more that of that old um twilight zone episode of the guy who's like uh, he's marooned in space and he gets a lady robot and they have a very nice life together and then i don't know if she runs out of batteries or he gets to go home i don't even remember how it ends because it's the twilight zone whatever it ends and they're scaring the premise is the payoff yeah on twilight zone so it's you know these stories are they've been told a thousand times but um, yours was yours was mm-hmm. different because it was like the man in box episode i'm thinking of black mirror mm-hmm. is nothing but tears right like it's just pure sadness of course it's black mirror it's like tears fear one of the two but yours is really funny so how did you now you 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 did tell me that there is a there was a pre-existing relationship between two of the the two main characters yes so originally uh the person who was gonna play val she unfortunately at the last minute was not able to uh do the film so that left me the day before shooting uh scrambling to find someone and jacob said oh my girlfriend is available and she's an actress and i said all right great she's hired (laughs) awesome (laughs) and it could like it was such it was such a stroke of luck it's one of those things that on friday night as we're supposed to shoot saturday at 8 a.m i'm ripping my hair out and crying and freaking out because there's so much planning involved in shooting and people just have no idea all of the resources you put into that all the texts you have to send all the texts all the passenger pigeon messages you have to send out to people it's just it's really terrible so i could not have been more thrilled to have it work out this way because um she was wonderful Aaron who played Val was I mean fabulous I couldn't have asked for more yeah it was great so I mean do you feel like the fact that they were already dating did a lot of the heavy lifting for their relationship on screen um yes and I think it also was just an easy shortcut to to things um there was no they already obviously knew each other and there was you know, for, there was just that intimacy was already there. So definitely, definitely, definitely helped. I mean, obviously we had all the resources in the world and we had had weeks of rehearsal and all that. I'm sure we could have gotten there with other actors who didn't, but the fact that this was thrown together Friday night for a Saturday morning shoot, having that pre-existing relationship, I mean, definitely did wonders because there was. But isn't that kind of great though? Like every single film has the same story, this, tragic breakdown with something that happens because of the tragic breakdown that makes the story better than before i have one everyone i know has one mm-hmm. there's like some kind of cosmic rule yeah. but i was thinking about this because i'm watching the behind the scenes footage the kind of making of documentary i don't know if you've seen the making of documentary it's it's great and it's got just alex winter in it because for, at the point of them recording it i assume keanu was like off doing bigger and better things or alex <laughs> but he was saying 
we we instantly bonded. We shared dumb stuff and smart stuff. Alex was a DJ at NYU. Keanu had been in bands in Toronto. They immediately bonded over rock and roll, and they just started hanging out a lot before mm-hmm. the film even started shooting. And I thought, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that makes so much sense because a lot of, you know, obviously rehearsal is crucial for film. But mm-hmm. if you have a pre-existing relationship that's already there, the best acting is when you're not acting or the best things, the best character to write for someone is one that already has commonality with themselves. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make it easy on someone. Um, so it just felt it, that I think made so much sense to me. It's like, it really did feel like they were best friends. Mm-hmm. It felt so effortless when you're watching it. And that just mm-hmm. makes it so much more enjoyable to watch because then you root for them because you want to be in that friendship. Well, Cameron, that's also because I'm a brilliant director. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's Girl. not just it's not just because they had already been dating for many years and that they were super had this existing relationship. Okay. It's because I brought out the performance. I am just kidding. It they is not, I'm not I'm not saying <laughs> No. Because you have to make them you also have to make it funny. Right? Oh, and that yeah. can be awkward. Was there anything that was awkward for them? In the, in the filming? They were so, they rolled with the punches because it was also, we, we shot this on the hot, it was, must have been like totally the hottest day of the year. And I had Jacob just hanging outside the window, kind of looking. There's a lot of moments where Jacob is the robot is sort of peeking in through the window and mm-hmm. she gets startled by him. Mm-hmm. So I just having him outside and he's wearing this little pink polo shirt and just I mean we're just on sweat patrol the whole time they just were great they there was really nothing that they wouldn't do and it was great it was great so nice to have that the other the other thing I want to say before we take a quick break um is Jacob's character reminded me a lot of Bill and Ted when I watched Bill and Ted. Uh-huh. And the reason for that, I think this will make sense to you, is Stephen Herc said, my only note to them is that like, okay, we were thinking as writers, thinking of Bill and Ted as Labrador puppies. Aww. And so as like my, my shortcut as a director is like, whatever we were looking at a scene that needed a punch, I would just say not enough puppy factor. Aww. And that would bounce it up. And then I was watching the movie and I was like, that's exactly like he, they're, they're like, especially Keanu with this floppy hair, like, you can just see the puppy factor coming through in so many of the scenes where it's just like, oh, okay, man. Like, yeah, let's go. Like, all right, let's come on. Like, come on, guys, let's hurry up. Like, it's just like, oh my gosh, that's like, and so I think Jacob has a little bit of puppy factor, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him so endearing because he's Definitely. a robot. You know, you don't want to always yeah. endear the robot to the viewer. You don't. In this case, in this mm-hmm. case, you absolutely do. So yeah. what do you, what, did you have any shortcut words with Jacob on? <sighs> I mean, we didn't have puppy factor, but just because I try to be that person on set where I always tell everyone, we're just here to have fun mm-hmm. and we're here to play mm-hmm. and we're here to make faces. And I don't want anyone leaving here not having had a good time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in a, you know, in a clean, respectable way. Um. So, yeah. So, but I'm going to, but I do like the idea of like puppy time. So, yeah. Well, you know, you're just kind of bringing them back to that character. That's actually another thing I was going to ask is, you know, especially when you're filming a comedy, Mm -hmm. how do you keep that jovial atmosphere? Because that was something Alex Winter said about Stephen Herc is that he was, he was the one that was keeping the jovial atmosphere consistently. And Mm -hmm. that is the job of the directors to set the tone on set. Mm -hmm. So, saying stuff like that, did you do any pranks? Or you're just like, (laughs) you know, we shot this all in one day. So, wow we we stuck to a pretty tight schedule we stuck to the shot list pretty closely but just making sure i always made sure we took breaks when we breaks as scheduled whenever we could everyone was fed and clothed and were able to stop when they needed to 
we, I mean, we honestly, we were laughing the whole time. We were Great. laughing the whole time and Great. it was a really small crew, but every people, most of them, I, most of the people there are ones I had worked with on my other shorts. So we just already had this relationship and it was just, it was just fun. It was really just fun. So I think about that day, I think about sweating profusely and having fun. And maybe some of that sweat was actually pee because I laughed so hard. <laughs> it really could have been. Well, you know, you don't really need to differentiate. Just no. bodily fluids, had yeah. a good time. Bodily fluids, up. had a good time. That's <laughs> my tattoo. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about sci-fi in just a second. But you're listening to They Came From Outer Space here on WRIR. LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I'm Cameron Kitt speaking with Becky Prosky about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the iron maiden. Excellent! So it's a sci-fi, but not really a sci-fi. And you can say that about Bill and Ted, too. Yeah. And I mean, to an extent, Q-Tipper, which I watched as well, Mm -hmm. it's not really a sci-fi, but takes place in a world that's... A different world, you could say, a world with slightly different rules. Yeah. Um, how did you, how did you deal with the sci-fi element? You mentioned that you were put in the sci-fi sci-fi block. Mm-hmm. Would you, would you say that sci-fi was more just kind of like the the cranberry in the in the cran grape mixture here? I um I would think yes. I, to me, sci-fi. I've always been obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with all things comedy. I never really thought of a lot of movies I love that actually are sci-fi as sci-fi. Back right. to the Future is one of my favorite movies. I oh. never think of Back to the Future as a sci-fi movie ever. I think of it as a great comedy slash buddy It's like comedy. a family comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, but people are like, oh yeah, of course it's sci-fi. Or um, like Bill and Ted never, ever thought of it as a sci-fi movie. Just think of it as a great buddy comedy. Um but I, you know, I guess that kind of stuff just sort of seeps into your subconscious when you're making things because everything I make tends to be on the surreal end. And then I think once you get into the surreal, the world of the surreal, sci-fi becomes sort of the catch-all for that. Um, so yeah, so Q-Tipper, it's sort of an other world, imaginary. It's in a, it, it's, you know, it's it's a straight movie that it's it's a movie about someone who's addicted to q-tips and i i make it as an intense dramatic drug movie um so take from that what what you want i mean people are addicted to q-tips i've heard of it so i was like we need to bring this issue to the forefront now i felt called out by watching it because i've seen the videos and i've seen the videos of the q-tip just pushing it yeah, the earwax further into your ear, and it does not deter me from using them every yeah. time I take a shower. Like and I can't not use if you, it. If you look at a box of Q-tips, it it specifically says "Do not enter ear canal." I had actually like a crazy shot of that on the box, and I ended up cutting it. But we all we all seen like, it. I was like, whatever. You don't know me. I'm safe with it. Yeah. You know, I'm smart about it. You're safe with it until you use it too much and you become like the girl in the Q-tipper and she has to yep. go to her meetings. Needs a um, fix. Who's missing? Who like has like ruined her relationships because of it? It's great. She lost her job. She does. She has Q-tips for hands. <laughs> but yeah, I think Bill and Ted dealt with it in such a way that I think is really smart. Which because a lot of films, if you 
if you spend too much time focusing on the rules of the sci-fi world, then you're beholden to upholding those rules. And also it's boring. Yeah. And I think because of the existence of George Carlin and mm-hmm. the fact that like the, they, they use the phone booth thing to a pretty good effect. So all of them flying through time is just them flying through the oh, phone cord. Right. Cameron, you might want to explain what a phone booth is. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking about that, that anyone watching this was born after i actually was thinking about that when i watched the birds i was like this scene makes no sense to me like this it doesn't speak to me i don't i don't understand what it's for yeah so we used to you know we used to make Mm -hmm. a phone sign with your thumb and pinky and now kids make a phone sign with a flat palm Mm -hmm. because that's That's, your that's what they tell you in improv class like yeah use a flat palm use a flat palm i'm like hey things change technology Um, changes And I think it's kind of ironic because the telephone booth is an anachronism, yes. right? Um, and they actually kind of, they somewhat bring it up in the medieval scenes where they're like, look at yeah. this thing. But I think that Stephen Herc said it was kind of an albatross. I'd never heard somebody mm-hmm. use that before. It wasn't their first choice, but they mm-hmm. made it work. And as a result, you're not questioning it too much because they're just having oh. fun. They're surfing it. There, the telephone booth was a huge issue in production. Basically, you know, the same thing you had with Man in a Box. Everyone hated being inside the telephone booth. It was always, quote, asphyxiating and hot. <laughs> <laughs> and they're also generally cramming a lot of people in there, even if right. it's not a real phone booth. Um, so I felt like I felt like they kind of avoided the traps, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. Right. Would you say? Yeah, watching and it again. Even if you don't know what a phone booth is, and again, for people who <laughs> don't know what a phone booth is, it used to be that um, people didn't have computers in their pockets. So mm-hmm. if you had to make a call, you'd have to find this thing called a phone booth, and they were mm-hmm. out in public, mm-hmm. and it was a phone, and you put this thing called like a quarter or a dime or a coin, or a, nickel, yeah. a, mm-hmm. coin. a coin is something that. Um, <laughs> It's like a form of money that you would keep in your pocket sometimes. It's hard currency. It's not it's, convenient. Yes. yes. And it's it's not, yeah. You'd stick it in and you would dial a number. Um, and it was like a number that you knew from your brain. Mm-hmm. It was like a number you mm-hmm. had this thing called memorizing a phone yep. number. You had to remember it. Yeah. And then they and, wouldn't be there. You just they wouldn't be leave there. a message. You, you, if, yeah, you could leave a message or um, you could. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so that's uh, there were also other things you could do in a phone booth, but <laughs> the main purpose of a phone booth is to call people. Mm-hmm. So now that you, for those of you who don't know what a phone booth is, now you know, and mm-hmm. you might that might help you understand other pop culture references mm-hmm. that are older than the year nineteen ninety five. Yep. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Really that, was a, that was a public service announcement. <laughs> phone booth. Yes. So. What do you think about, so you've been watching this a lot. Mm -hmm. What stands out to you about the writing of this movie? It just, it feels like, I read that the writers of this movie uh, were stand-up and improv, uh, improv partners or improvisers. And that's, this feels like the best of improv that you could see that these two characters started as characters and the whole thing was built around it and you don't the story you don't care if you can't buy parts of it because you are you are with these people the whole time you are rooting for them the whole time and not only bill and ted but can we talk about some of the side relationships of the characters absolutely because i 
am obsessed with the relationship between Billy the Kid and Socrates. <laughs> it's pronounced Socrates. Socrates. It's under Socrates, man. It's, under Socrates. it's one of the best lines. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's like, things I've learned. My favorite people in history, the Socratic method. Um, <laughs> it's, no, it's the best. And they become best friends in the movie. Yeah. They save each other's lives several times. And yes. They become buddies. I love the relationship. Oh, my God. Even just Missy and Beethoven. 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 I mean, when he, like, kisses her hand. It's yeah. So, just, it's just romantic. And it's funny because something I had never noticed in the movie. So when they're gathering all these historical figures, again, I've watched this movie probably 50 times. When they go get Beethoven, they land behind him in this concert hall and everyone is screaming, but Beethoven doesn't know it because he's deaf and he can't hear. So he's the last to realize he's about to be kidnapped. I never noticed that. And I think about them like that must've been really terrifying for him. And then I remember it didn't actually happen. Yeah. And my, like, again, like refusing to follow the rules yes. of kind of traditional storytelling, the fact that like everybody's kind of just down with it, down with it, totally down with it. They're just and- down. Yeah, the the rules support the story as opposed to making these stupid, rigid rules that you then have to follow, which a lot of sci-fi movies do because sometimes when you have a magical world or a special power, you're like, okay, what are the rules of this power? But this one is so clean and simple. You just, the the clock in San Dimas is always running and you have to be back by noon tomorrow. Go have yeah, fun so they it. do follow one set of rules, yes. but the rules are like, would Genghis Khan be upset about this? Yeah. No, he's Would fine. he and Joan of Arc, like... I mean, is it, should they be in the same room together? I don't know, but they're in this phone booth together and things are fine. And everybody's fine. And and the reason they're fine is because of the existence of Bill and Ted yes. as humans. So have you ever done improv before? I, I have done improv. Okay, I sensed that about yeah. you. Um, yeah. Have you noticed that there are people who tend to go negative with their improv? Oh, all the time. And then there's no place to go. So there's I respect... No I'm a, I'm a big cursor, but I really yeah. respect clean comedy because I respect people who do the hard thing, right? Yeah. And so this idea of like making characters who are sweet, yeah. And they, as as um Ed Solomon and Chris call them, idiot savants, right? Yeah. They're dumb, yeah. but they're also geniuses. So yes. like in the in the reviews of them, it's like yeah, they're kind of presented as dummies, but the whole police station thing is like oh. genius, like it's like pure genius. And they yeah. and they were like kind of just like cruising through it without yeah. anxiety. That takes mm-hmm. some kind of like so like there's these characters that you really root for them. I've just I'm really impressed by this idea of creating a positive world. That's like one of my obsessions mm-hmm. with sci-fi. It's like why does everything totally. have to be dark? Terminator, Walking Dead, Dark Fate. You know, like I don't know. Maybe it, it maybe doesn't. it could be fun. Maybe it could be the George Carlin version of the future where it's like we have the best mini golf ever. You ever. can't. I can't wait to show you the future. And I was like, oh my god, please. Like yeah, that's I'm not the even future I want. You, like, I can't even tell you how many times I have reenacted the midpoint scene of bill and ted's excellent adventure in my room just doing this with my arms like i'm playing a giant a giant air guitar and that righteous music oh it's great and they the change Egal- the world with their music yeah they and they the future music. yes and like the three people who are in charge i mean like how how wonderful can you get and then the people in their tinfoil outfits it's just like yeah it's the future and i want the future we want right and i don't think i was so glad to watch this movie because it's so rare to see this it's really only star trek that's been holding it down for me which is like Mm -hmm. oh i want to go to starfleet i want the future to be positive i want us to survive and 
I, I think it's really easy to go negative. So that was something I really appreciated about this. Um, how do you stay positive with your comedy? Do you ever feel tempted to go dark? Um, I do go dark sometimes, but I, the characters I tend to write are dementedly optimistic. So even when they're dark, they are dark adjacent. So it's always like, well, they're not going to overdose on pills, but you might find them in the back of a, or Q-tips, but they, you might find them in the back of a tasty cake truck and they just maybe overdosed on those cupcakes with the cream inside and you just find them pass out with you know that on their mouths I don't know I mean that's just um that's just where I go that's where my darkness leads me so yeah a darkness that we've all experienced that we've all experienced and if we haven't we should because tasty cakes are great this is sponsored by tasty cakes. <laughs> if you haven't overdosed on tasty cakes did you even go to public school in america no, like you did it and if anyone from tasty cakes is listening please contact me i really like your product <laughs> i'm sure circle k got something out of this film the first time i saw circle k i i yelped i had never seen a circle k before yeah. and the first time i saw one out west i was like oh my god it's real like it's Something real because in my mind it was a my sister and I used to say that to each other all the time not even knowing Circle K was a real place well like that line is so um, like I guess effortlessly iconic yes that Circle K probably benefited from that for decades and they I mean if I have the option of the Circle K or 7-Eleven I'm gonna go to Circle K because specifically because of that movie so when they pitched this movie Mm -hmm. in 1984 Seven Eleven was a big part of it, and it was all about a van. Pretty much everything mm-hmm. else was the same. Mm-hmm. So those are some big changes. They shot about half the movie in Arizona because, mm-hmm. quote unquote, from Scott K, the producer, the beauty of Arizona is that it's basically one giant strip mall. Yeah. <laughs> Huge swerve oh. at Arizona. Um, <laughs> um, and that kind of ties back to how once you found that location yeah. for Man in a Box, you were you were set. Yes. One of the things I really want to talk about, I, I got to come back to men and, and friendship, but one of the things that has just like kind of become an obsession for me in this film was budget. Mm. Do you know about the budget? Have you yeah. looked into the budget? This film has seven, it has like 10 major set pieces. Eight of them are in different time periods, right? Mm-hmm. Six of them are different time periods. And it was made for $10 million, wow. which today is $22 million. Mm-hmm. And I just sat here thinking like, what studio would green light? <laughs> yeah. A time traveling film with like mid with Western yep. medieval, you know, 1700s, eight, like every giant set piece you can imagine, mm-hmm. castles, mm-hmm. like, and they managed to keep it so cheap. So, yeah. what are your thoughts looking at this film? Like, it doesn't feel cheap. No. How do you think they did it? What do you think about it makes it feel classy and high, high dollar? I mean, maybe not classy, but no, it's classy. It's classy. <laughs> it's shiny. I mean, I will say, I was actually rewatching it today again. So 51 times I've seen it. Um, the scenes when they are, I think it's when they're, when they find Napoleon and they're watching the battle scenes. Those look like, I don't know, B-roll from some sort of weird documentary. I was um, like, please, please have lifted. I was thinking to myself, I was like, I hope they found other medieval films that were shooting and just asked if they could go on set for a day yes. or something. Just, yes. you know. It was like bothering me from a producer mindset thinking like, about watching this. Like, this, this is stressing me out. Scene. Yeah, I was like, Ugh. <laughs> I mean, again, like 
a good movie, you're always going to go back to those characters. They elevate every scene they're in. They ele- and all of those characters elevate those scenes. So again, I mean, yeah, it's like they're in Western town and they're playing cards, but who cares? Like, it's just, you're not even really noticing even... I wouldn't even notice if they were in some old Western pub or if they were in Vienna in 1872 or wherever it was. Um, I think it's just the characters. I think it's such a good movie because we are with them the whole time. Yep. And it never loses momentum. No. It never loses momentum. You never get caught up in any rules. You never get caught up in where are we and why even when they're at the midpoint, when they go to the future, it's like at first they don't know where they are. And then they're like, Oh wait, we're in the future and we can't take you with us because it's a history report, not a future report, which is another <laughs> one of my favorite lines. Like they stay, they never get really like, even when things are going horribly wrong, yeah. they stay super positive. I think it's yes. their attitude that keeps it going. But like from oh, a yeah. writer's perspective, for those of us who aren't in the screenwriting craft, mm-hmm. why is it so important to have a good midpoint and tell me about kind of from the breakdown of the different acts what are some of the pitfalls you can get into as a screenwriter? Ooh. Well, I think a really good midpoint, a midpoint, you have to have a midpoint that you're going towards because it traditionally is either a break from the action. If it's mm. a, if it's a drama, it can be a really great moment of levity. If it's a comedy, it can be more of a serious moment or it can just be a break from the action. And that's why in this movie, it's when they go to the future. So it doesn't really have an impact on the story but it's a break from all that. Cause at that point you're getting kind of nervous because the phone booth is broken and it gives you a little, anx- well, it sort of gives you anxiety. You're like, are they going to make it back home? I mean, I know they are, but you don't know the antenna's broken. Yeah. So then, and the phone booth isn't working or the telephone's not working. For those of you, again, who don't know, a telephone <laughs> was inside of a phone booth. And the phone booth, see, the important thing we didn't talk about is what the phone booth function was. It was to give you this thing called privacy because it used to be that people didn't just talk on their phones and like say all their private information just walking down the street or when they were on the bus or something. Um, they used to actually like close the booth so they could speak in private. That's the other thing about a phone booth. It was um, a weird, it was, well, also you yeah. could use it as a, as a place to have a little bit of a breakdown. Yeah. You could change some undies. It yeah. wasn't like completely, you no. know, hidden, but it was like a sense of privacy in the midst of public where we've public become space. so used to living in public. Yeah. So interesting how they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that aspect I mean, of it. Yeah. It's also, uh, it's a place where Superman could go change into his Superman clothes. That's what I was thinking about the undies. Yes. Yeah. That's what got me going. Yeah. Fun fact, because of the low, so they, they picked Alex. I'm sorry, they picked the Stephen Herrick because they knew he could do this on low budget. And boy, did he. But they had to drop multiple phone booths basically from a crane because they didn't have enough budget to do a good one. And he's like, he's like, thank gosh, it never shattered. Yeah. Boy, did we drop that thing a few times. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they would have to drop it because it keeps dropping out of the sky. <laughs> no, that's so funny because I thought maybe, okay, so I'm not to brag, but I own a four-part, I own a four-part VHS collection set of Back to the Future. Wow. And it's, it's movies one, two, and three, but the fourth, the fourth VHS cassette is actually behind the scenes making of, and it's it's hosted by Kirk Cameron, which we can talk about on another podcast some other time. But um, It's my name, Steve. Talk- I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about uh, the big scene at the end of Back to the Future Part 3 where the train yes. goes into yes. the canyon. And they use... And, they were not going to send, they used a real antique 
train from that time period to shoot the movie on, but they weren't going to throw that into the ravine. So they made a model. So that's interesting. I sort of thought maybe they had a model phone booth. Nope. They just dropped it. They wow, didn't have they money. Dropped it? It. So that's what's so interesting. They didn't have money for the model. That's the thing. Model. These models cost money. They take time. They mm-hmm. often require a whole second unit. Yeah. Um, they just dropped it from like 10 feet off a crane. And like, I respect this movie so yeah. much more for somebody who can do so much with so little and make yeah. a movie that's so good. Now, of course, yeah. to keep the budget low, these were both like not super well-known actors at the time. Yeah. Nobody in the film was a big name that I knew of, except for George Carlin. And mm-hmm. I'm sure George Carlin was like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, yeah. he gets to be fun. I do have to say this one more thing about budget. This drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. The movie almost wasn't popular, right? There's so oh. many things that can go wrong. And at the very end of shooting, they had oh, just a few months to put it together because DGA, the the production company, had was literally tanking, was, was folding at the time, was being sold to new management. So that's the worst thing to happen while you're in editing. It's mm-hmm. for a totally new set of people to buy out the company and come in. And that company was like looking at this movie, watching it, saying, this is so weird. We're just going to put it straight to VHS. And they kept saying that. So Stephen Herrick and the producer said, no, 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 please let us do test screenings. Yeah. And the test screenings were so insanely positive across the board. Like kids loved it. Adults loved it. All Basically, all the different uh, demographics were so obsessed with it that they were forced to release it. So this movie became so close to not being released. And it, and it, and it grossed $40 million worldwide. So, it was, you know, yeah. what you would want is more like a 20x ROI. But a 4x ROI is still not nothing. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought that was really impressive. It's just it's crazy to think that this movie might have died in the VHS release. So kids, really, for those of you listening, VHS was a plastic box yeah. filled uh-huh. with magnetic tape. Mm-hmm. The magnetic tape, when run in front of an image sensor, would actually send electric signals mm-hmm. to your to your TV. Your yeah. TV was shaped like kind of a tube. Mm-hmm. And at the end of watching it, you literally had to press a button to physically rewind the tape mm-hmm. back again. Unless uh, you were really special and you had a separate rewinder some of which were in the shape of race cars <laughs> you had one of those that's so i know okay i didn't have a race car rewinder <laughs> um but i did have a friend who had one so i would always ask her oh can i rewind the tape can i rewind the because tape? the because the excitement when you're like oh great i can't wait to watch bill and ted and then you yeah. pop it in and you have to wait for like what three four minutes for it to rewind that Enjoy. that is like an agonizing amount of time yeah. um that you just sat there yeah. Like you just sat there and watched the movie rewind itself in front of you before you watched it again. Yeah. Such a weird experience. Um, I'm going to take one more quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about friendship. Oh. You're listening to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk about film and science fiction movies. I'm Cameron Kitt, the host of this here program. I'm here with Becky Prosky talking about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Welcome to the future. San Dimas, California, 2688. And I'm telling you, it's great here. The air is clean, the water's clean. Even the dirt is clean. Bowling averages are way up. Mini golf scores are way down. And we have more excellent water slides than any other planet we communicate with. So, Becky, before I go on to friendship, is there anything, any other kind of important topics you wanted to cover today? Um, Well, we already talked about, like, the Mideast peace process and <laughs> I think like the global climate change emergency oh yeah we already covered how to yeah, how to solve climate cri- the climate crisis right. so if you want right. to go back and hear that if you're just tuning in just yeah. find us on apple and yeah um, iTunes. It's, it's like I think in the first part of the of the hour <laughs> um no I mean I think you pretty much covered it all I 
I there are just some parts of the movie that we I really have to discuss. I don't know if this is the section that we should do it or if there's a different section. Now is good. I want to talk about the mall scene. Let's talk about the mall scene. I will say that in my very humble opinion, it is the best mall scene of any movie ever. And there, I said it. And I'm really trying to think. I'm really trying to think. There are... I mean, the share scene's not as fun and clueless. So yeah. when I was watching that, I was thinking of the, the there's typical like screenwriting beats that you yeah. would hit in them if you're following, if you're like following a guide, right? The Save mm-hmm. the Cat guide. There's a section called Fun and Games that mm-hmm. normally happens earlier on, but I couldn't mm-hmm. help but think that this was a fun and games kind of scene, even yes. though it really is leading up. The whole time I was watching it, I was anxious, right? Because yes. you're anxious because it's, how would you label like what kind of scene this is? Because it's happening, right? kind of at the zenith at the the, it really yes it is towards the end and for those of you who haven't seen it basically all of the historical characters we have so crazy we have billy the kid we have joan of arc we have beef oven we have (laughs) freud who i will just say one of my favorite lines is when uh sigmund gets arrested and the cop says what is your name and he says sigmund freud and he says why do you keep claiming to be sigmund freud and he says why do you claim i'm not sigmund freud yeah. and he's and the cop says why do you keep saying that and he says tell me about your mother <laughs> like, the delivery that, too tell me about your mother so your good mother. it's so good so funny um i just the mall scene it is this great montage of watching all these characters in their personal expertise get into so much trouble. Um, like Be- Beethoven is at the music store and he just is turning Tearing the crowd in such a frenzy. I mean, he's good. He's, he's I mean, really honestly, good. He's, he's really like, good. He's good. He's, I mean, he's a totally good musician. Like he's, he's like really good. Really good. He's really good. And you see Joan of Arc getting into her aerobics and those outfits. Amazing. Anyway, um, you see So Crates and Billy the Kid trying to hit on these women and they end up on the ice skating ring. So it's also just a great, if you want to know, I mean, I think of like, wow, how magical the mall must have been in the 80s. I don't even, it's just, what a magical place. And I think mall scenes, they can be really, really sanitary like just sanitized versions of life but they can also be very subversive and I think this was one of those examples and it's just it's so fun I'm also I I'm a huge fan of Fast Times at Richmond High which has excellent yeah. mall scenes yeah I mean the two of the characters two of the main characters work at the mall but this is just oh it's chef's kiss primo it's very fun and the mall I think I, when you mentioned this this is in 1989. It was pitched in 1984. It was mm-hmm. filmed in 1987 and 88. The mall The mall was a center. It was the city mm-hmm. center. It was the city yeah. square. And we don't have that quite as much now. I mean, I mm-hmm. have been to large malls where they uh-huh. are pretty still packed. Yeah. But, it, but you know, like, you, it feels like it was written you, by, yeah. by a fun person. I, it totally. I was just going to say also, for those of you who don't know what a mall is, <laughs> it's kind of like um, if you go on this thing called the internet and you go to like, amazon or something right, right, right. and they sell things except at the mall you would interact um with these other things called people and sometimes you would you know buy yourself a treat and walk around and scam on boys and i don't know eat frozen yogurt or whatever was really popular at the time and um yeah so that was the mall i guess and that's what you would do on the weekend you'd be like i'm going to the mall the mall the mall 
it feels like, you know, if you ask most people, which is the assignment, the assignment is, yeah. what would Abraham Lincoln think of San Dimas today? Mm-hmm. What would Socrates sing? Um, like, did they actually complete the assignment? Or is it what Bill and are, are these characters acting out what Bill and Ted think? Abraham yeah. Lincoln would, would act like would, I, would would Napoleon really go to Waterloo and go down the slide or is that the Bill and Ted version of Napoleon so I think it's interesting Napoleon has a different journey in this film yeah he's a, he's got a great he's the B story right yeah he really is so Napoleon he is the first character that they inadvertently take his it, and that's what gives them the idea to get these other historical figures because he accidentally falls inside the circuits of time um, during some wayward explosion. But um, he is put his uh, Ted puts his no, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ted puts his little brother in charge of Napoleon and um, Dickon. That's what Napoleon. Dickon, where are you? I don't know. Anyway. I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, actually, I was going to say um, the first French word I ever learned was la glace, which means ice cream. And I learned ah. it from Bill Ted's Excellent Adventure because ah. Deacon and his two girlfriends, who look like twins, which is weird anyway. I don't know. They're 12. Something weird is happening. Um, they take Napoleon out to this. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese type of place. It yep. actually looks really fun. And I want to find out where that is. Yeah. San Dimas <laughs> seems like a great place to be a kid. Oh my God, like water slides and this Chuck E. Cheese place and that bowling alley. With yeah, the, really and the whole place just seems amazing. Oh. Um, yeah, and they're just eating the ice cream and uh, having a good time. But then they eventually ditch Napoleon because he's he cheats at bowling and Deacon calls him something inappropriate that is not, we can't say on the radio. <laughs> like you said, it is positive and it is about these this, this great, friendship between like, these two dudes they are looking out for everybody yes they are more or less egalitarian i mean yeah, they, yeah. they're hitting on women but they're more or less respectful yes. like I, I watched a lot of movies even more mm-hmm. recent than 89 mm-hmm. that are just exuding negative masculinity and 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 i think this movie does a really good job of representing how to be a popular dude without being yeah. a bad guy. And, yeah. and, and I think the, the truth is like that these, these guys really love each other. They care they about each other and they're not afraid to show it, except maybe they are. I'm not sure. They are um, a little bit. And the only time there's ever tension is when Ted is talking about how hot Bill's stepmom is. Yeah, that but, is tension. Because, you know, yeah, she was a senior when they were freshmen. So, so I know you said that Missy needs a spinoff, but I yeah. was really perplexed by the entirety of missy and the whole storyline what do you think's yeah. going on there keep in mind we only have a, like a couple minutes left. yeah i mean i don't i didn't look i i don't think there's too much going on that is not <laughs> superficial um she married ted's dad i she's probably like i don't know 22 maybe i can't i don't know she's supposed yeah. to be very very young and bill's dad is obviously old i don't understand why they need to um do their extracurricular activities in bill's bedroom that's also a mystery to me yeah um, that one felt like pretty pretty yeah, intense that aggression was, on the that was very aggressive um <laughs> i just i think she also just wants to be a good stepmom you know? she does she does and she does a lot she she yes. makes sandwiches she is watering she, the garden yeah, she, she drives them around her- she fills the fridge with sodas for their friends. She fills the fridge with sodas. She keeps it stocked. She's she's yes. really trying to be a good mom, a good housewife. Yes. And yes. when she meets um when the when the when the phone booth materializes, she's more or less unfazed. Okay, she, guys. Nice 100% to meet you. 100% unfazed. Yes, there's sodas in the fridge. That's Which is super does. great. And well, 
I will have to say, in the second one, she's not married to Bill's dad anymore. She is married to Ted's dad. I'm sorry. I spoiled it. There you go. Oh, my gosh. Because I, I I do have, have thoughts about the second movie as well. Uh, However, yeah. we are just about out of time. So, Becky, I want to ask you to, to wrap up talking about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah. What can this movie teach us? And what is a, one of the major takeaways for you, especially thinking about making a low-budget sci-fi film? Mm-hmm. I think that if you want to have fun, you can do that on a low budget. And that is really important. And it is okay just to have a movie that's a good time. And Mm. it's, yeah, I mean, be excellent to each other. What else do we need in this world? And party on, dudes. (laughs) I love when he says be excellent to each other and they all look around like Buddha has just passed down wisdom from the mountain. (laughs) They're just like, oh, (laughs) yes and to be honest like they are they're idiots of aunts they know what's up they know it's true like the real meaning of life maybe it is to be kind to each other and i think i i i loved this movie so much um becky for those who are listening where can we find more about you and your work uh well i again um i recently switched from a phone booth to a smartphone so i do have i am on instagram i'm at uh, my life with helga that's my Mm -hmm. handle on insta um it's because I, you know, the pandemic was, is, has been a lonely time. And I sure I, has. I, have, I have a mannequin and we started a little Instagram together and we have fun and we post updates and I have film updates there and just things that um, Helga and I have been doing together these past, you know, this past year and a half. That's so great. I love a good theme and it's just really nice to see Helga doing stuff, getting out, going she around. Is. She's putting herself out there and she's, she's loud and proud and she is always nude. So as <laughs> We could all be so lucky to live our lives that way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Becky Prosky, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Bill and Ted with me. You've been listening to They Came From Outer Space here on WIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond. Becky, thanks for coming on. Thank you. This was great. Excellent. Yay!